listening to The Tidbit brought to you by Curate. I'm your host and CEO of Curate, Kim Bryden. Do you run a small business or have dreams to start one? Well, here at The Tidbit, we've got your back. We talk through tidbits of knowledge around starting or running a small business with a food and beverage lens. You know, if you have years and years and years and years and years and years of experience as a small business owner, you know, if you can maintain this sense of deep curiosity in the work you do, continuing to be curious about your customers, about the people you work with, about your industry, you know, you start to benefit so much more from, you know, that inquiry and that question asking. It's like a muscle. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger over time. Y'all, do I have a fact for you. Gallup found that disengaged employees around the world are costing the global community $7.8 trillion due to lost productivity, absenteeism, and workflow disruption. That is huge. Have you seen this uptick in dissatisfaction since the global pandemic? I certainly have, and it is clearly imperative that employee engagement is taken into account as it is a key driver of motivation, commitment, and productivity in the workplace, and employers need to appreciate that it really does impact the bottom line. An article in Essence noted the same trend that companies are becoming increasingly more aware of how important healthy corporate culture cultivation is to their bottom line. But what if, despite best or worst efforts, you're just still not dialed in? The piece goes on to list ways in which employees are disconnected, such as feeling different. Social isolation in the workplace can erode one's ability to feel like one belongs. And as human beings, we look for connections to feel valued and respected. Feeling judged, especially at the intersection of gender, race, and political views, or feeling like you need to change to be accepted. That feeling like you don't fit in is not just specific to angsty teens in high school. Unbelongingness applies to adults as well. And listener, we are here to deep dive into what might be our antidote to these feelings of disconnection or lack of belonging. And it's tuning into our collective superpower of curiosity, with today's guest and expert on the topic, Scott Shigioka. Scott is an internationally recognized curiosity expert, speaker, and author. He is known for translating research into strategies that promote positive well-being and connected relationships around the globe, including at the UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and through his popular courses at the University of Texas at Austin. Scott implements his curiosity practices in the public sector, Fortune 500 companies, Hollywood, media organizations, educational institutions, and small businesses. His book, Out Now, Seek How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World, just debuted on November 14th. Welcome, Scott. Hey, that's a bit. I feel like there should be like, I don't know, should we create a theme song? I'm like yeah. so into it. I'm down. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Next episode, we co-create a jingle. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And listeners, if you have ideas or are musically talented, you know, come join Ooh. us. Ooh, yeah. What tidbits <laughs> do you take from this episode that Ooh. then can be turned into the jingle? Ooh. Ooh. 
okay, now you're just blowing my mind. Okay, that's okay. Like, okay. Exactly. We're like ten so. seconds in. Okay, can we gotta like we gotta I'm gonna sell the row, okay. <laughs> well clearly I'm just thrilled to have you here. Yeah, I'm this so is... happy to be on this I'm so I'm like long time, you know, friend, fan, you know, just supporter of the amazing work you do. And I'm just so happy to be on the show. Thank you so much, Kim. I totally feel the same. And I've had such an honor witnessing your journey over the past decade. And oh my really God, stepping. Decade, whoa. Uh, yep, decade. <laughs> I know. It's really wild. And you've stepped into this superpower of yours, curiosity, mm-hmm. which has led you to explore and recently publish your book, Seek. Woo-woo. Yeah. I'm Woo. so excited about that. Check it out, everybody. It's available anywhere you get books. Absolutely. <laughs> and the real crux of it is how curiosity can t- transform your life and change the world. Yes, yes. And so I would love for you to tell us a bit more on what inspired you to, to pen this mm-hmm. and why you feel it's so deeply important for us to read this at this time. Yeah, totally. Well, first of all, you know, um, curiosity, what is it? Like, let's define it first. And it's the desire to know or the search for understanding. And I think we commonly think about curiosity as this, I'm gonna get all the information so that I can win trivia at the next game night, or I'm gonna figure out what tree is in my backyard because I look at it every day and I literally have no idea. That is curiosity, but what I focus on in the book is what I call deep curiosity. It's a it's a, a kind of a, of a search for understanding where we really see and honor and value the people that we're getting curious with. And so I like to talk about curiosity on a spectrum. So there's shallow curiosity on one side and then deep curiosity on the other. So shallow curiosity is, you know, when you meet someone and you might ask questions like, what's your name and you know where do you live and what do you do for work right they, it gives you some insight and some data but there's still a lot underneath the surface that you still have left to learn about that person their values what they care about their most important relationships so that's what you get when you go deeper into the spectrum of curiosity so instead of asking what's your name you might ask a deep curious deep curiosity question like you know what's the story of your name Who named you? What's your relationship to the people who named you? Like, can you tell me about them? Like, what what does it look like to um, be alive and flourish instead of, you know, what do you do for work? You know, how do I, what gets you up in the morning? What gets you fired up? What are you really struggling with right now? You know, are there ways that I can best support you when you are in the state of aliveness or when you're struggling, right? So you just get to this deeper, richer stuff. And that's what my book is about. It's how do we actually practice deep curiosity as, you know, a small business owner, as an artist, as a, you know, um, a teacher, a therapist, whatever your role is in society, as a parent, as a child of aging parents, as someone that is going through the toughness of the world right now, where there's endless hate and vitriol and crises, you know, wherever you look, is there a way that we can tap into this deep curiosity to build our understanding and ultimately heal and strengthen our relationships and live with more purpose? Why do you think you felt such a calling 
to this deep curiosity. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, you know, and I'm curious about your relationship to curiosity too, because for me, you know, I grew up and I would really identify as like a curious person, you know, like, and most people have that as a, as a child, you know, they remember sort of running around and like getting really interested in all the different things and, um, you know, uh, asking a bunch of questions about horses or roller coasters or like whatever the thing that you were into as a child. And if you have kids, you see this with your children as well. Um, you know, they're often just like so curious and in awe of the world and you get to relive that experience as a parent it's such a beautiful experience and there's this trope though or this myth that then that's it we lose our curiosity like curiosity is only for the kids or maybe for artists and then we lose our curiosity but when you actually look at the social science research this meta-analysis of over a million research participants they found that our curiosity actually gets strengthened over our lifespan up until cognitive decline so the older you get the you know the elders in our society older adults they tend to be the most curious and i think about this in a lot of different ways let's say we're talking about small businesses a lot here right on the show you know, if you have years and years and years and years and years and years of experience as a small business owner, you have this, you know, if you can maintain this sense of deep curiosity in the work you do, continuing to be curious about your customers, about the people you work with, about your industry, about, you know, the innovation that's happening in your world, you know, you start to benefit so much more from you know, that inquiry and that question asking. Um, and you also have the capacity to do it because as you age, it's like a muscle. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger over time. And so, you know, just like you might be, you know, in your early days, you know, as a kid, you know, learning how to be social and converse, you know, the more and more you practice that skill of socialization, the more equipped you become, right? As you grow older and the same is true for curiosity. That's beautiful. Yeah, at Curate, one of our core values as a company is curiosity. Love. And that shows up as why do we have to do things the way they've always been done? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. let's just ask the question, yeah. might this be able to be serviced in a different way? Totally. We don't have to do things the way that they've always been done. Love that. Maybe ultimately we decide that that was the best course of action. Yeah. We're not saying necessarily it was the wrong direction, but mm -hmm. get curious around why was that the decision made in the first place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think this is a big component of the superpower that you're really elevating, um, especially when we work with small business owners mm -hmm. who are feeling this sort of tug of war mm -hmm. in their own operations in a employer employee relationship. Mm -hmm. um, it can get very personal often yeah. because we're small teams yeah. and small business leaders face challenges that arise in class, race, gender, mm -hmm. age. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious, mm -hmm. um, how would you apply your methodology that you outlined in the book, the, the dive method, yeah. maybe you can yeah. tell us a bit more of that, to a small business owner who genuinely wants to team build and create a lasting cohesive culture, but we can have these barriers get in our way. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's just so real. And I think to remember just like a muscle, you're not going to go to the gym one time and then expect to like come out with these like bulging biceps or triceps or whatever, right? Like it takes time. 
And it's something that with trust, with relationship building and with continued practice so that you can get better and better at it, you become stronger and stronger at it and it becomes easier for you to do. So if at the beginning you're trying to be curious and there's like all of this conflict and tension, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so over my head and over my head right now. I mean, that makes sense if that's a new skill or, or something that you're bringing into your practice as a small business owner for the first time. So, you know, just continue to remember it's a muscle and it's something that you can build. And then the other thing that I would say is that there's three directions to curiosity, right? There's the inward, the outward, and the beyond. So inward curiosity is I'm going to get curious about myself. Like this is what, you know, I care about. These are what my needs are. This is what I really value. Why I got into this business in the first place. Who are the people that I feel like are my closest supporters? What do they give to me? What do I give to them? That's inward curiosity. It's like what you would do at therapy, right? Like your therapist helps you to explore your inner world. But then there's outward curiosity, which is like, I want to get curious about the people I work with, my customers, you know, the culture I'm in, the industry I'm in. That's outward curiosity and how we typically think about curiosity. Then there's the beyond, which is curiosity about things that aren't in the physical realm, right? So maybe it's our ancestors, like seven generations from now, like who has not been born yet. For some of us, it's the divine, it's God, it's consciousness. You know, there's so many ways of seeing what's beyond the physical realm. And we can draw strength from all three of these directions for curiosity. We can go inward, we can go outward, or we can go to the beyond. I always tell small business owners, for instance, because we're, you know, we're strapped for time and capacity. We have a lot of responsibilities. And not enough hours of the day, it can feel like, right? To, to always start from inward curiosity, to always, you know, really hone in on getting curious with what your needs, your desires, your capacities, your limitations, your boundaries are, because that will help you, for instance, to get outwardly curious with others and be in better relationship with either the customers you serve or the people that you work alongside, because you know yourself you know what matters to you. You know what you need. You can be aware about what's happening in your body as things come up, let's say in conflict, and you can better sort of manage and navigate those moments. Um, and, you know, I think I think remembering the directions is core. And then also I have a framework or, uh, um, in the book called DIVE, which you mentioned, and it's an acronym. So D-I-V-E. And it's the way that you access deep curiosity. It's like your workout plan, you know, if like you're going to practice curiosity on the daily as a small business owner. So D stands for detach, which is to let go of our ABCs. So assumptions, biases, uncertainty. Basically this idea that we need to be intellectually humble. We need to remember that we don't have all the right ideas and answers for every question or every problem that arises. Sometimes it may come from other people or sometimes we don't know and we have to learn and we have to grow. Because the minute that we feel that we have all the answers, not only does that brew arrogance, but it also makes us much more unlikable as a leader. It makes us harder to collaborate and work with as a leader. And it's also really, um, it shows lower um, associations with creativity and innovation. So your, your, your business outcomes aren't going to be as powerful, right? Um, but if you start to detach and you let go of your ABCs, you start to show people that you know, you're willing to work with them, that you have this humility that is very likable, that, and it doesn't have any impact on your competency too. That's like a big thing that small business owners fear. But when you look at the research, people who show curiosity and say, I don't know, I don't have that answer right now. Let me figure that out. They do not, they're not seen as less competent. That's what the research says. 
In fact, it's the opposite. You're seen as someone that's more competent because you know where to look for the answers. You recognize that you're not just trying to solve things with half answers. Um, so that instills confidence in your investors and your customers and your employees that you work alongside. It's a good thing. Eyes intend, which is to set the mindset and setting for curiosity. So that's like, you know, I'm going to actually, I have this hard conversation with one of my employees. It's been really tough. Like they haven't been showing up on time at work. Um, or maybe, you know, I can tell that there's something really going on in their lives that's impacting the way that they're, you know, working in the organization. Um, so I'm going to have this really tough conversation with them. Well, a lot of folks go into that conversation without even preparing. Like they don't know what questions they're going to ask. They don't know what place they're actually going to meet at. You know, um, it might just happen like on the floor as customers are coming in. And that's not the best setting for curiosity or for a deep conversation and meaningful connection to happen. So you really want to think about first, what's the physical setting? What, where are you? that makes both people, you and that person feel psychologically safe, where you can both just express what's truly going on for you and they don't feel like they have to be inauthentic or you know show a part of themselves that they feel like they have to because customers are around or other coworkers around. So setting is important. Then the other piece is mindset. It's what is the mindset you're coming in with, right? Are you trying to do you have all these assumptions? Are you trying to like take down this employer? Do you really want to work with them? Do you, are you really curious about understanding where they're coming from? And if so, what questions are you asking? So many small business owners I work with that are doing a really hard conflict conversation don't even have a list of questions that they're going to ask. And I'm like, well, that's going to be really hard for you to have a really productive, meaningful, connective conversation with this person that means a lot to you, that you value. Um, v is value, speaking of, um, which is to see the dignity of the person you're being curious with. And that includes yourself. So, so often we're like really hard on ourselves. You know, we have imposter syndrome. We like get down on ourselves when we make mistakes or when we fail. And that can actually be, you know, uh, it can stunt our growth and our and, and, and possibilities for our future as a small business owner. So V is really about see the human, recognize that we are all imperfect, we make mistakes, and that we can learn from them and grow. And that, you know, I'm not going to dehumanize the person that I'm being curious with. I'm not going to see them for their gender, their sexuality, their race, their religion, what side they're on, on, on politics or any given conflict that has arisen in our global arena. Like, I want to see them as a person, understand them deeply, not make any assumptions about them that, you know, because they are this race or this faith, they must be X, Y, Z. No, I'm going to see them as an individual value their dignity and really be curious about them and know that they do are not sort of representative or they're not the same as the group identities in which they fall into. And then E is embrace, which is to welcome the hard times in our lives. And sometimes hard times are joyous times. It's like getting married or having a kid or, you know, starting a new job or, you know, success in our small business where we're growing, right? And sometimes it's really hard. It's grief. It's heartbreak. It's, you know, losing a business or losing a home. You know, those are really, really tough moments on both sides that challenge us, that can create a lot of doubt, fear, anxiety. Um, but those are also the most revealing times for us when we use our curiosity, where we can learn so much about ourselves 
so much about the people around us and how they do or don't support us. Um, and we learn so much about what really matters to us in life, right? And, and that's so important in a world and in a culture where so many of us are forced onto autopilot or are forced onto doom scrolling um, because of the ways that, you know, technology and our society has been built to steal away our attention. So it's almost like a, an act of defiance or resistance to be deeply curious in these hard times and really search for the true meaning of what actually matters for you and your life and the people around you. So D-I-V-E, detach, intend, value, embrace. And yeah, there's a bunch of practices in the book on how you can actually exercise each of those. Oh my gosh. I, wow. I yeah. cannot wait yeah. to dive into dive. My yeah. mind is already spinning with like great ideas and, yeah. and ways to put this into practice. One that comes to mind is we just reformulated our annual performance review mm -hmm. process I curate. And I came to this um, reformulation curious mm. because I felt having such a profound conversation within, let's say, an hour mm. to talk about your personal growth, the company's growth, compensation, like that just felt very stifled right. and didn't get to some core learnings that we could have on each one of those topics. Such so we insight. ended up um, splitting each one of those into their own mini workshop mm. and discussing each and building on one another, first starting with the personal, then the, the company vision, and then compensation. And mm. so I encourage everyone to take what you just learned from Scott and also think about how does that then get put into practice. And when you were talking about the eye and dive mm -hmm. around the space and time held to have those conversations, we were really thoughtful around, does a facilitator need to be involved? Mm -hmm. Is this in person? Is this on Zoom? What's the most appropriate context totally. to have these hard conversations, not in a good or bad way, just they're more a, a deeper conversation to be had. Totally. And what's the mindset that they're coming into this conversation with. That's the the problem with doing it all on one day, one hour as a performance evaluation, because what if something really tragic is happening in the world that impacts them? Or what if something tragic happened in their family and now their livelihood for the next salary negotiation for the next year and <clears throat> their performance evaluation for that whole year that they just did is now affected because it all rests on that one sort of conversation. And, you know, that's, hard to like put on people. We also communicate in very different ways. You know, some people are really great oral communicators and others like need more time and more thoughtfulness and reflection. And, you know, they, they deliver information beyond just oral, you know, communication. And that's really, really key to also understanding the mindsets and the, you know, understanding and being curious about the people you work with. So I love that you like heard something from the people that you work alongside and you were like, we're not going to do business as usual just because it's been this way. And I was told, or this is what happened when I was in a job does not mean that that's what, you know, the employees I like hire or the team I work alongside have to do the same thing. We can find and uh, find a better way, do it better. And that starts with us just getting curious and really asking ourselves, is this working for us? What mm -hmm. is the better way? You know? Absolutely. And I'm, so intrigued by the three different modes of curiosity you mm. outline inward outward and beyond yeah yeah and the beyond yes i've seen this come up a lot in our work because of 
generational lineage traumas with money mm. and mm. small business mm. owners and the way we relate to money, having it, not having it, <coughs> asking for it, et cetera. Yes. Really gets into the beyond curiosity 100%. to explore where that's coming up. Oof. Oh, that is so real because now we're talking about equity. We're talking about the histories of, you know, groups of people that are held back by, um, you know, based on their race, i.e. slavery, i.e. you know, colonization. We're talking about, uh, you know, gender, the gender wage gap and the ways in which mothers and women have been treated in the workforce historically and in broader society. You know, you start to really see the ways that, you know, in the past, how the harms and the suffering that people had and the lack of access to opportunities to create wealth for themselves then impacts the generations to follow. And that's why there's so many people that are trying to break that generational wealth like curse, you know, and to build generational wealth for themselves and for those that follow them. And I think it's such a beautiful and important um, thing for us to get curious about if we don't come from those communities. That's actually what the social science says is that the direction of who is listening and who is sharing really matters. So Emile Bruneau, who is, uh, who's done a lot of re who did a lot of research on this, um, you know, where there were two groups where one, you know, group had less social power and the other had more social power. He wanted to understand like, why was it when I was a high school teacher, you know, students of color and white students were coming together, doing these dialogues, but then when they were done, white students got, you know, something out of it, they learned from it, but students of colors, you know, sometimes felt depleted or felt like, you know, nothing had really changed. And he said, you know, he set out to figure out, is there a way for us to change the way that we come together and understand one another? Because, you know, all of our experiences really matter and have validity to it, but the way we're sharing it right now is not working. And the big reason is because we try to design things where everyone gets 50-50 chance to, to talk, right? Like you put men and women together in a circle, everyone gets 50% of the time to talk. You put, you know, um, queer folks who have felt some kind of, um, you know, moral injury and um, people, you know, from the religious, a religious community, a particular part of a religious community, and then that religious community members show up and you give them 50-50 time to talk, right? Or, you know, students of color and white students, 50-50 time to talk. But that doesn't work because in each of those cases, one group has less social power, which means that their stories aren't heard or visible in the cultural narrative. They're not talked about in the news, so their voices aren't elevated as much. And there's all these stereotypes and caricatures of people in positions of less social power that infringe their ability to be meaningfully valued and seen for who they are. And so what he realizes, it's like charging a car battery. You have to make sure that the wires are set in the right way. You have to always make sure that those with less social power in a given situation have more time to talk and more time to share their experiences and that you're giving the power of curiosity to those with more social power to listen, to understand where people are coming from. And this even happens, let's say, in a layoff in an organization. Who has more social power? It is the leaders, the people who are still employed, and the people who made those decisions. They should be doing all of the listening, really, as much as possible. And, you know, because that is their time to understand what people are actually going through, right? If you're a small business owner, you're the leader, you've hired and employed people, you should be doing a lot of the listening, you know, for those that you've hired and who, you know, are taking 
um, you know, a salary or pay from your, you know, paycheck and you make those decisions on their livelihood. Right. And so, you know, because you'll have many opportunities to share your own perspective at team meetings and in the ways that you design your programs and in the ways that you market your business. Right. Um, and when people feel heard and valued like that, and they feel like you're actually being curious about them because you're genuinely, you know, genuinely care about them, you know, it has to come from that place of genuine care. You know, you can't fake curiosity, you know, like people will, will know that you're, you're faking it. Um, but when it comes to that genuine care, it makes people feel so much more connected to you. It makes them, you know, much more fired up about the work that they do. And it helps them beyond just the work that they do in the world. It increases their well-being. It helps them with forming positive relationships outside of work. And all of that stuff, which is related to our well-being, has business outcomes too, if that's what you really care about. But hopefully you also care about the humans you work with and their happiness and their satisfaction and their joy as well. And it also has a meaningful impact on that too. Yeah, I really want to lean into this even more um, and bring it into more of a global or at least America-based context. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is one may think that capitalism is a great equalizer, that as long as you're providing a quality good or service, it doesn't matter who you are or what you believe. And we've seen this completely upended in the mm -hmm. past decade mm -hmm. where we've had lawsuits such as the Colorado Baker who won a U.S. Supreme Court case over his refusal to make a wedding cake for a gay couple or mm. corporations taking a stance for Black Lives Matter. And if we as business owners are to live our values mm -hmm. and also get curious about our neighbors, how do we navigate this complexity as business owners, consumers, where it, it feels that we must approach the world in, yeah. in both being curious, but also um, at times it could denote our political position. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so what if what we buy, what we buy as consumers, what we stand for as business owners how can we do this while also not creating more walls? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, and it's a, you know, it, it's such a great question and, and such an important conversation to have. You know, I, I think that so many small business owners would never do what so many big corporations do, which is this, you know, lack of curiosity and a lack of care that really makes people feel abandoned or treated as lesser than, right? I mean, we see this with these major corporations and the ways that they do a layoff, like literally it's so dehumanizing, it's so awful. Um, the ways that big co companies, you know, hire influencers and then completely abandon them when things get really tricky um, instead of standing up for them and ensuring that their health and their psychological wellness is, is you know, being cared for you know small businesses what i love i you know i i worked on a show called made in america where we traveled across the country and and i interviewed you know so many um you know small business owners and one of the things i fucking love about small business owners is that there is tremendous care there's so much care 
for the work they do, for the people they work alongside, for the communities that they serve. It is why I've always been a huge proponent of supporting small businesses because they are the heartbeat of our country. They are the people that are actually embedded in the communities that they serve and work with. They have real relationships and they're creating something of meaning and value. And I can't say that every big company, you know, always does that well. And I hope that there is a sea tide change where big businesses bring in small business owners and learn from them because I think there's so much for them to be curious about as folks who, again, have more social power, more access to capital, you know, more influence in different industries like advertising. You know, you have more social power as a big company. Be more curious. Learn from small business owners. Partner with them. You know, be better accomplices and allies in the work that they do. And that's also a great DNI strategy. If you really care about diversity, equity, and inclusion, you're going to recognize that most small business owners in our country are very diverse. Like they are immigrants, they are women, they are black, they are brown, they are indigenous. They, you know, come from, you know, different histories and life experiences where they weren't connected to wealth or proximate to the kinds of business contacts that maybe others were. And so those are the kinds of people that we also need to ensure they have access to the right information, the right resources, opportunities, and we have to continue to support their work. And fortunately, there's so many foundations, so many organizations that understand this and are supporting small business owners and are making, and like you, you know, that are making sure they have all the information that they have to succeed and thrive. And that is not just good for business, but it's good for society. And so like my whole piece is like, you know, if you're a small business owner, you're probably already doing things really great. You're probably doing great. You know what I mean? Like you're, 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 you, because you're coming from that place of care and that curiosity. But, you know, so sometimes when we're in something for so long, we can get burnt out or we can forget that that care or that curiosity or that sense of purpose that we originally started in, it, it sometimes gets lost. It's like in a romantic partnership. You know, you're married for 15 years and your partner comes in through the door and you like are, you know, glued to your phone and you forget to like acknowledge them or ask them questions, you know? And once you assume, you know, everything about your partner, there's nothing new to learn, you know, you start to see your marriage probably have negative consequences as a result of that because they'll feel abandoned and they'll feel dismissed and they'll feel unseen and unheard in the relationship. Whereas if you continue to remember, even at year 15, just like you did at day 15, to be curious, to come from that place of care, to remember, you know, why you're in this relationship in the first place, your romantic relationship is going to thrive, right? The same is true for small business owners. It's like you cannot lose the reason why you got into this in the first place. You cannot lose your connection to that. You cannot lose your sense of care for the people around you and for yourself. You cannot lose your curiosity to really understand, you know, what your needs are, what you really want in this moment and how to best show up for the people around you. Even if you're, you know, in the year five of your small business, right? You have to like continue to practice that and know that it's going to give you that meaning, that connection and that joy that it would give you just like if you were to use that in your romantic partnership. Mm, I wholeheartedly agree. And you nailed it as to why we feel so strongly and deeply about small business at Curate, because it's really an opportunity for us to, back to the point I made earlier, ask of ourselves, like, why does business have to be done the way that it supposedly has been done? Mm -hmm for years mm -hmm. and can we approach 
these conversations with our team members, our customers, mm -hmm. create spaces that are unique to our specific end users and customers, as opposed to tokenizing or mm -hmm. just putting on a show for mm -hmm. show show's sake. Like we want to actually create a change yeah. in the communities that we serve. And I love that you uh, elevated how might big businesses bring in small businesses to learn from them? Yeah, That is absolutely something we've advocated for. And I've been in rooms where a lot of times it's a larger business saying, well, if only the small business did X, Y, Z differently, then they could work with us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As if the small business had less of their act together than the big business. Right, right. And I would just like to say, there are a lot of big businesses who do not have their act together. And so- yep, yep. They're not as nimble, they're not as innovative, they're not as creative, they're not as connected as small business owners. And also the other thing I would add to that is if you're gonna bring them in as a big business, you better be paying them. You better be paying them well for their expertise, for the contributions that they're making, or that is exploitation. I'm like, I have been involved in like so many of these, like, you know, sort of like partnerships or like learning exchanges. And the minute that I'm told that a very resource billion dollar company does not want to pay thriving fees to small businesses to learn from them, I'm like, I'm sorry, we're done. Like, I'm going to leave this conversation because I can't be down with that. Like, no, there's no such thing as like, we're going to give them exposure. We're going to give them an insight into how our business works. No, you are going to pay people for the value that they are bringing to you. And if you're not going to do that, then you're not going to get that you know, from them because that is exploitation. So I, I'm, I'm a really big believer of like, yes, please do it. But if you're going to do it, pay people and also protect them, right? Like, you know, as a small business owner, we have to be hyper vigilant when we do stuff like this with big businesses because we're like, are they going to steal our ideas? Like, what are they going to do with the information we give them? Can it be used against me, against my business? And you have to be hyper vigilant because that happens. Like, there are so many examples where that happens. And there are other larger organizations that do truly want to support small businesses because they once were a small business or they have leaders who actually care and are grounded in that experience. So it's really about that discernment to really understand who is that business that's gonna best be in my best interest, right? And that's why it's so helpful to have brokers or people who are sort of like working in the midst of like both of those players because they can serve as like those trust agents, you know, to broker those relationships and make sure, or at least minimize to the highest degree of you being harmed um, or walking into a relationship or a partnership that's actually gonna be consequential for you, so. Uh, totally, I often say, sometimes I think the website of Curate should read managing expectations since 2014 because mm, mm, <laughs> mm, mm. everyone is uh, supposedly speaking a common or similar language but not really mm -hmm. um and i think you're you're spot on that we can both be excited and curious about an opportunity that's emerging and also recognize that there are ways that we have our own expertise and knowledge exactly. and learnings mm -hmm. and worthiness uh, to mm -hmm. show up in spaces of conversation. And I don't want to um, shut out our larger businesses who are showing up in extraordinary and powerful ways with the resources they do have on hand. Mm -hmm. And so 
yeah, it just goes both ways. And I yeah. think having more leaders um, as leadership changes in a lot of our larger structures, as leaders who have more of this curiosity and cultural consciousness step yes. into positions of power. Yes. I think that's even a, the opportunity is just starting. I see an abundance um, beginning yep. in the way we have these conversations. And that really sparks a lot of joy for me. I think that's a great point, right? Like, and that's something I want to center. And as we like close out the conversation, two points, one is that this isn't an us versus them. It's not a small versus big business conversation. That's not what we're talking about here. Like just to clarify and put the needle like in on the like exact target that, you know, you both are, we both are talking about. It is that we need to collectively work together to solve the big problems of our society today, right? And to, you know, really be in service of the communities in which we are in. You know, it is the same thing that a marriage therapist would tell, you know, a couple. It's not you against the other person, you know what I mean? Like you both are in partnership. You're, it's you two working together against the problem, right? That's what we're saying. What we're also saying is that there is a dominant narrative and there are power dynamics at play. And so, you know, that's why these kinds of podcasting conversations are important because we're giving voice and sharing some real talk things that don't often get, you know, space on, you know, popular media or, you know, you know, aren't often like shared unless you're in those rooms behind closed doors. So this is a way of just like sharing information in the spirit of transparency and ensuring that people have all the data they need to make decisions that work for them and for their businesses and the people they love. The other thing I would say is that the, the sort of thing I want to like bring home as we close out the convo is that you know, V is value to see the dignity of the person you're being curious with. But that also includes yourself, right? Like this is the thing that I see so much when I've probably interviewed probably a thousand plus small business owners at this point in my career. And something that I see as a trend is that there is, you know, we can sometimes be the biggest enemies like of our own selves, our own worth, our own value, you know, who, what we are, our belief in ourselves and our mission and our businesses, like we can sometimes be the worst critics and the hardest on it and the most incurious, you know, where we turn away and dismiss ourselves, right? And so if we're doing that to ourselves and our own businesses, how can we expect anyone else around us to have that belief and that they want to make a contribution to see us succeed, right? If we don't have that belief and that worth in ourselves, right? So, and like RuPaul says, right? Like, if you don't love yourself, how the hell is anyone going to love you, right? And I, I think it's a great motto for small business owners too, because you got to start from that place. You got to really have so much self-compassion and love for yourself, really recognize your own worth, the value you're bringing to the people around you and the communities that you serve, and really seeing the work that you do as not just a small business, but you know, a owner or a leader, but also as a person like who is navigating the world with your own unique relationships outside of the work you do in a capitalistic system, that like that has value and that has worth, right? And when you start from there and you get really curious and you think about what are the ways that I positively impacted other people? What's the legacy I have lived? What are the ways that my business has had a, you know, a, a positive or meaningful impact on the people who I serve, whether that's my employees or the customers that I serve, right? When you start to think and get curious and reflect on those kinds of questions, which helps you to connect to your own sense of worth and your own dignity, 
oh my God, wow, that is infectious. That is contagious. Like that is what people want to be around. That is magnetic, you know? And then you start to inspire them to feel the same way about their own work and their, their own selves. There's a reason why the research says when you have imposter syndrome, the best thing you can do is to tell people about it. And that when you tell people about it, not only does it reduce your own imposter syndrome, but also the imposter syndromes of other people that you're sharing that with, right? The same is true in this regard too. Like the more we can dignify ourselves, the more that people are gonna dignify themselves too. And wow, what a world, that's the world I wanna live in where we are all like valuing ourselves and each other and humanizing one another. My God, like in the world we live in today where there is so much hate and violence and vitriol and just us versus them, we need curiosity, we need more care, we need to value one another. And it really starts in these like individual behaviors and our interpersonal relationships with those closest to us. And we got to model that if we want to see that in the world. Beautifully, beautifully said. You know, Scott, we're going to end on just a, a question about breaking bread with one another. Yeah, I love. <laughs> Breaking bread is just another key component to dismantling these preconceived notions that mm -hmm. we were just speaking of. And so we're asking all of our tidbit guests this season, if we were going to invite you to a dinner party and break that bread, what dish would you bring? Mm. Well, I always love to say, you know, instead of breaking bread, I, I'm always like, let's roast some sushi together. You know, I'm Japanese American. <laughs> I got my little sushi roll set, right? I will teach you what my grandma taught me about like, you know, making some nice sushi rice and the type of rice you got to use for that, right? And, you know, we have so, I live in the Bay Area. There's so many amazing places to like get fish out here um, from like, you know, Berkeley Bowl to like the Tokyo Fish Market, you know, like it's all these great places. And, you know, you can, it's so easy actually. It's, 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 it's when, once you do it, and it doesn't, maybe you won't do it as pretty as like, you know, obviously like Japanese chefs who have like been doing sushi their whole life. Like, I'm not saying zero dreams of sushi, uh, sushi here. I'm, I'm saying like, you can put some fish on rice and then roll that in nori and seaweed. You know what I mean? So that's what I would do. I would bring in the set and I'd be like, let's roll some sushi. We can cut up some fish or like if you're vegetarian, I'm cool with that. Like we can do some veggies roll that in some rice, put a little bit of that vinegar in there, rice vinegar, you know, maybe some furikake, roll that in seaweed, boom, slice it up and you got sushi, you know, and it's just so fun and it's something to do. And I feel like we're in a society and a moment in society where we're not using our hands as much culturally as like people. And I think that's so important for us to do. I think that's why so many people love cooking because it's like the one time you get to do something and make something with your hands. And so that's what I love about sushi is that it like takes that even further. It's like really you have to like get your hands wet and mold the sushi and like use the roller. You know, it's just it's such a visceral embodied way of of creating and also for me as someone who you know has Japanese ancestry it's just like a way of connecting as well to you know where I come from and my ancestry and you know I think you know we always talk about like the melting pot you know of America but actually it's more of like a potluck dinner you know where we're each bringing like our own unique dishes we're not just like melding it into a bleh you know that just like just tastes like a brown you know what I mean like we all have these amazing cultures amazing dishes and this big ass long potluck table where we get to see feast and like in like just like celebrate the beauty of diversity that we have in this country and to like share in the meals that we have and it's not always just bread you know it's like there's so many other ways that we can come together at that table 
Oh, it sounds like we're going to have a sushi making party while we record this jingle. Ooh, and I cannot yes, wait. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nothing like sticky rice, you know, to like do a jingle with, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for being with us today. Thanks, Kim. This is the tidbit brought to you by Curate. We would love it if more budding entrepreneurs and listeners like you could find out about the tidbit. Our mission at Curate includes the sharing of education and access to resources. And the best way to reach more folks like you is to leave a review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we would be so appreciative if you could head over to your app and leave a little tidbit on there about what you learned here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, remember to scale thoughtfully and source locally. Thank you.